My name is Marie White, and I'd like to welcome you today to the White Bikini. Joining me today is my co-host. When do you think I'm going to call you host? Nicholas Banton. Never. I am the co-host. I know my place. <laughs> That's going to be your new title, Nick Co-host Banton. My mother would be proud. Today is... Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, and we are on the countdown to Super Bowl. Woo-woo! Fly, Eagles, fly. On the road to victory, you have a cold, which is really COVID. <sighs> no words, no comments. I, I got nothing for you. I would do, did you take a test or we're past that? You know what? The plan is, as soon as we finish recording this podcast, I'm going to drive to your house and cough all <laughs> over your kitchen utensils. <laughs> Today, in honor of Black History Month, we have decided to discuss prominent African-Americans in the Philadelphia industry, whether it be culturally. But today we're going to focus on Ryan Boyer. And I am embarrassed to admit, and I think you can agree with me, that I had no idea he was the first Black leader of the building trade councils. Absolutely. Didn't know anything about this man. And that's not good because I'm not really prepared today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, sometimes you lay an egg. Let's just go over some top things known about him. He has become the first black business manager of the Philadelphia Building and Construction Trade Councils after Johnny Doc Doherty resigned from the labor organization Top Rolls days after a jury found Doherty guilty of bribery charges. Sounds about right. Let's talk about Doherty. What do we know about this man? Well, I needed a little perspective of in terms of how we got into the position because it's important to understand the legacy that this Philadelphia building and construction trades has basically been all white people. Agreed. And and this is me being naive. I just assumed they were always being fair, giving African-Americans the work. I was wrong. Oh, you're precious. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> Ryan Boyer is the top official of the Labor's District Council, representing 6,200 members across four locals that are the only majority black building trades in the region and was previously the Building Trades Council president. I guess I was a little startled in terms of the numbers of the African-American, even just in the trades union, they really have been pushed out. Absolutely. I think the way this is worked, whether it's real estate or the unions, people see it as a zero-sum game. So it's my tribe or your tribe. There is no room for compromise or sharing of resources. And I think that's the way cities along the Northeast have worked. We know about the horrors in the South with segregation and Jim Crow, but there was a soft racism. There was a soft level of discrimination in the North that applied to African-Americans and Jews and for a time Irish and Italian and other Eastern and Southern European immigrants. And I think what Brian Boyer has done, he's broken the last piece of that entrenched systematic discrimination in the building trades union. Agreed. And I want to break it down because, and I think when you and I talk about unions, do you know that there's four different locals? I didn't. No, I didn't. Honestly, the trade unions are something I don't really know about. You typically hear about trade unions when there's a scandal or when there's a major project going up and people are glad handing and slapping backs and congratulating each other on a major project in the city. But beyond that, no, no. And and I realized that in, in communities like Atlantic City, those are mob control. I agree or disagree. Philadelphia, it's a similar 
situation where historically the unions have had the thumb of the mob pressing down on them throughout their history. I think if it was like 1998, I agree. We are in 2023. I think what's bothering me more is I don't think it's mob. I think it's just straight up racism. There you go. Sometimes the least complicated answer is the best one. And I suspect that you're right. And it goes back to what I alluded to before. I think human beings are very tribal. And at the end of the day, we're going to look out for our own and we're going to see anyone who's not part of our tribe as a threat. I would feel better if it was the mafia. I really, as I dug deeper into this, I will move on with more details. Just to revisit, he is the business manager of the Laborers District Council, the region's predominantly black and brown unions are broken down four ways, which I think it's important for us to understand. The Labor's Local 57, 135, 332, and 413. They are largely responsible for the building of the modern Philadelphia skyline, which is beautiful. The Comcast building, their influence and hard work has been incredible. And again, as we said, following the conviction of longtime union power broker John Doherty on corruption charges. He is also disputedly the most powerful man in union politics in the city. And that's an interesting point. I mean, when I when you prepare the show notes and you shared them with me, I was thinking, how can we make a discussion around labor unions and trade unions? How can we make that a sexy topic of discussion? And I have to be honest, I struggled with it because it doesn't seem to lend itself to that. But when you recognize the historic ground that Ryan is breaking in terms of representation, for one of the most powerful arms of the city. Would you agree with that assessment? Agreed. And it's 2023. That is really significant. I mean, at the end of the day, the story is what it is. And, you know, we can sort of tease out some controversies here and there. But I think on the surface, it speaks for itself. And what it says is change has come to one of the most ossified areas of employment and organized labor in the city of Philadelphia. And that is significant. I don't think you can ignore it. Yeah, and he is only 50 years old so he still has a good 10 years ahead of him. Mm -hmm. He's really in the peak of what I would call a construction executive because you do need someone that's had their boots on the ground for a few years to understand where the racism lies, who the players are. He was called to testify against John Doherty which is a big deal. Yeah, you have to testify against the old boss. That's a significant escalation of affairs. Yeah, and I think you want someone I'm glad they didn't hire an outsider because you need someone that's boots on the ground. First of all, understands Philadelphia, understands the racism in Philadelphia contracting. So I think he is a good face to execute Philadelphia into the 2023s and onward. I agree. And uh, as you were speaking, I thought of a way that perhaps we can make this conversation connect with people a little bit better. And I think of what's going to happen this coming Sunday, where you have two African-American quarterbacks facing off in the Super Bowl. And I think the significance of that cannot be understated because for the longest time in the NFL, and I think it was one of those tacitly accepted, quote unquote, truths that black men could not quarterback a successful 
NFL team. They lack the discipline, they lack the intelligence, they lack the creativity, and they lack the command authority to lead other men on the football field. And it sounds insane, but it's one of those things that racism is like the rock with the bugs underneath it. It's not until you flip the rock that you see that the critters underneath are just these weird looking, almost, you know, nonsensical looking creatures. And I think that's what racism is. When you when you really zoom in on it and you take a closer look at what people believe, you realize how incoherent it is and how it makes no sense. And I think what Ryan Boyer represents, it's one of those flipping of the rocks moment in the history of this country and more specifically the locally in Philadelphia. We're flipping the racist rock and exposing that there's really nothing to it but our own fears and assumptions about black men being in positions of leadership and what that portends for the future. And what that portends for the future is the same thing as when white men were in power. I'm not singing this man's praise assuming that he's going to be a godsend and that he'll fix all the problems. For all I know, four or five years from now, he might be in a similar situation as his predecessor because I think the building trades system in Philadelphia is corrupt and it's hard. You don't dance with pigs without getting dirty. And that's the problem. However, for this moment, we can grant him the space and recognize the monumental change this is in the city of Philadelphia, which, you know, we're talking about urban Philadelphia is a majority black city. And I think it's significant to represent the people and represent them well. What do you think about my assessment? No, I 100 percent agree. And I do know firsthand uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia that they have a lot of work going on in their buildings and rightly so they are changing the landscape of Philadelphia that they are very concerned with hiring local contractors from the neighborhoods that they are given first, you know, choice of the work. And I think it's great. You, It's going back to what you and I've talked about, community. If you're mm-hmm. building an infrastructure in West Philadelphia, make sure that you're offering and giving jobs to people who live in that neighborhood. You want them to be have good jobs, well-fed, and keep that sense of community. If they live in that area, they will take pride in the building they are building rather than pulling someone from North Jersey, who was the lowest bidder on the contract, that has no sense of community to the neighborhood. I think it's great. I agree. I think this dovetails nicely with our discussion about Trashman in our previous podcast, where he is encouraging the neighborhood to participate in their own improvement. He's mobilizing the troops on the ground, the local neighbors in order to make the changes that he sees in his immediate environment. I think the same thing is afoot potentially that you can, one of the big problems with the city of Philadelphia, especially when you drive through West Philadelphia, North Philadelphia is housing, access to housing and how you have rows and rows of dilapidated homes. I don't pretend for a moment that Ryan Boyer is going to change that overnight, but I think in the, in speaking or thinking globally about the problem, we need to incentivize the people who live in these communities communities to be their own change agents. And I think this is where his significance may tie in. I don't want to lay all these needs, all these important expectations at his feet because he's not in a position to do that. He's just a leader of a trade union. But we can speak more generally about what it will take to revitalize the neighborhood. And I think, as you said in a previous podcast, what will it take to make Philadelphia great again? And I think it's a little bit of everything. I think it's everyone bringing their experience, whether you're white, black females. We all need a place at the table because I I do believe that more vision is better for the city, that everyone, again, has a piece of that pie. And I, this is kind of a side conversation, but I was thinking about this when I was preparing for today. Whatever happened to Votech? That's a good question. I know that when I was in high school, I think during 
junior year, students were introduced to Votech. But honestly, I don't know. I think that might even be podcast in and of itself because I think it's interesting. I mean, let's face it. If you are a master plumber, master carpenter, master electrician, you're doing a lot better potentially than a lot of kids with master's degrees right now. And this is probably another podcast, but when I was growing up, people were in assigned roles. You were either Votech or college prep. And I remember never, there was never any shame of, you know who you were, you were going to succeed in the trades or you were going to college. And there wasn't that, well, maybe I am, you know, kind of looking back. There was never any judgment of who you were. You kind of knew your lane and you stayed in it. Where I feel along the way, we have gotten at least a few generations of Americans and maybe including me, maybe including you, that did pursue that college, you know, the the life of a college student. And maybe it wasn't, and it's not right for everyone, but I'm wondering whatever happened to encouraging people to go into the trades and make money that way. I think part of it has to do with our history of racism in this country, because let's face it, odds are that the kids who would be shunted off to the Votech trades would typically be black, whereas the white kids were mainlined for college. And I think along the way, people saw that there was a disparity in the system because 20, 30 years ago, college meant something akin to a golden ticket to a secure middle-class life. Whereas Votech and, and the trade schools, there were a ticket to a solid employment and gainful employment, but they weren't the same thing. Let's face it, college and Votech, one had prestige and one was looked at as more of, as a lower class pursuit. And I think that is part of what happened. I think some of the vitality behind the trade behind Votech was subsumed by the pursuit of college because rightfully so, a lot of black and brown kids recognized that their white counterparts were positioned better for more successful lives with a college degree than with a technical trade degree. Would, would you say that's a fair summation of the difference and perhaps where this thing went awry? And now 20, 30 years on, we both know that that college degree is not the golden ticket. No, there are a ton of kids. I remember, you know, when I was going through college, tons of tons of kids with master's degrees working at Whole Foods. So that is a factor. The problem is we need a vision for the future where people who do pursue the trades aren't, I think we, it sounds silly, but I think we need a marketing campaign for Votech in the same way that college marketed the heck out of themselves and promised that they were the path to a golden future. I think the trades need to market themselves. And that's perhaps one of the ways in which this gentleman can make the change, reaching out to the schools and demonstrating to these kids that you pursue the path of trade. You can establish a future for yourself and a future for your family and a future for your community. And I think there's a huge disconnect there. And listen, 16 year old kids, 17 year old kids are not in the best position to assess the future. Did you have, like, did Lower Murray have a Votech school? They did. Where was they it? Did. Montgomery County Community College. I think it may have been on that campus. And I think that was the relationship. But there was this quiet snicker for most of the students, especially the white students. There was this derisive perspective on students who would pursue Votech. And I think that's part of the problem is that I think Votech, I think the trades, they need to market themselves and show a path, show a path to a successful future. And that's one of the changes, one of the major changes that we need in the city. Yes, what the your favorite trash man is doing, cleaning up the city, you know, one piece of litter at a time. Phenomenal. However, it's going to take many different approaches and it's going to take this blended approach where people are incentivized to work and have the skills to work because that's also important. You know, you want qualified
qualified people running electricity through your house and plumbing and framing your house. And I do think the pandemic's going to change the college, not just the experience, but as people work more and more remotely, you need less people to do the work. Yes, and we're not even talking about the advances being made with artificial intelligence where machines are essentially going to replace writers and perhaps research clerks and and those skills. But to the topic at hand, yes. And I don't see a future, at least none in on the immediate horizon, where human beings are not the ones responsible for laying down bricks, framing two by fours, pulling electrical conduit and running PVC pipes. These are skills that will remain in demand for the foreseeable future. And these are important. If we're going to rebuild the city, we need the builders. I mean, there's so much work to be done. And also, you know, we talked about uh, CHOP, University of Pennsylvania. We have some of the biggest colleges in such a small area. They're always renovating. And again, I think Ryan is going to bring First of all, just like the African-American quarterbacks, a new face to the trades in Philadelphia, which I think is so crucial. And I, as you know, not now, but have had a long history in construction management. Yes, you have. And I have to be honest, I guess when I first was in the industry, I didn't think about how white we were until Mm -hmm. it was brought to my attention. And then I was embarrassed just because I was kind of living in that world that I just didn't think about it, not from neglect, but I was just trying to survive. I couldn't take on the the higher level. And I think it goes without saying that what I hope Ryan does and brings to the trade unions, it's not to replace white people with black people or white people with Latinos. No. And I'm just saying that for effect because I think when people hear diversity, they hear I'm losing. Yes, you're taking my job. Yes. And it's not imagining this. This is something, This there is a meme going through conservative white America that diversity equals white replacement. And I think that's why these unions remained the way they were for so many years because there was fear. Because let's face it, the old paradigm was true that if you didn't necessarily do well in high school, you didn't have the best uh, literacy skills or numeracy skills, you could still have a really good life in the in the trade unions. And, you know, you're going to fight like hell to maintain and protect your family. Because even if you didn't go to college, you know that you wanted your kids to go to college so that even if you're doing really well for yourself, you want them to do even better, to work smarter, not harder. And so the white communities were incentivized to maintain restrictions on blacks and brown people entering the trade unions. And I think going forward, we have to learn to share the pie. I I agree. And I go back to, I'm going to go back to uh, John Doherty. I don't know a lot about him. I'm familiar with him. He's probably 60, early 60s now. And I keep going back, but it's true that he was someone that was raised by a World War II Korea, Vietnam parent, that they were a different American model that were always in competition that you get your piece and you squish anyone that gets in your way. And I don't want to say I was raised the same way. Obviously, my mother wasn't, you know, she obviously didn't have trauma from the war, but it was always like someone was coming for them because my mother did grow up in the depression. So we were always waiting for the next shoe to drop. Fight for your peace. Don't let anyone get in your way. And I'm hoping that now that management style changes under Ryan, that there is a piece of this pie and we can all have a slice of it. Yes. And it's very easy to rally around external factors, whether it's race or gender or sexual orientation. Those are just key elements of human tribal thinking. So I think going forward that we lay out a blueprint or at least an expectation 
that these unions will feature more women, create a pathway for women to become part of these trade unions so that women in the city, especially single moms, have access to jobs that will allow them to provide for their families. I think if there's any expectation that somehow we're going to put the toothpaste back in the tube and make things the way they were, that's folly. Going forward, we have to look at the city of 2023 and 2024 and 2025 and so on and find a way as we, you know, are both in agreement about how do we share the pie? How do we share the resources? Because there are billions, billions of dollars in construction largesse available from the government and private institutions to build the city of Philadelphia. Every week you go down there, there is an old Rust Belt era building, if you will, being converted into luxury condos. If you go to West Philadelphia, basically, for those of you who are struggling to picture what's going on in the city, there's Center City where most of the skyscrapers that you may or may not be familiar with are located. And just imagine concentric rings of neighborhoods emanating from that central core. And as you get further and further away from that central core, there's a sharp drop off once you get to West Philadelphia in the area after Children's Hospital Philadelphia. There's a sharp drop off in property value in the amount of dilapidated homes in terms of neighborhood average income. But what I'm seeing slowly post-COVID is that they're slowly building out that central core and that bubble is getting farther and farther away from West Philadelphia. And so there, there's obviously money in the city, both private, governmental and institutional to build the future of Philadelphia. And I want to see everyone participate and get their share. And and looking at those houses in West Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, you know, we, you and I've driven by them. They were beautiful, beautiful yes. work of art. And it's, it's so depressing to me to see how the city's declined. But I really believe now, I know it sounds silly, but with the quarterbacks for the Super Bowl, with Orion Boyer, this, I feel like there's a small little change that's coming. It's not going to happen or change overnight, but I, I do sense a shift and I'm, I'm very excited that it's coming and it's it might take another decade, but I do believe, you know, people get ready because I think things are slowly changing. The generation that, that I grew up in, the men that manage this city, a lot of them also, full disclosure, are retiring out now. Great. So their voices, they're diminished or they're, they're about to diminish that 60 65 to 75 generation and I break down the baby boomers in different generations but they could be tough guys but they also could be bullies and I do believe exactly what you said there's a piece of the pie and I think everyone can have a piece of it. I think this is the, the city as we see it the dilapidated buildings especially in West and North Philadelphia it's a consequence of white flight because before those neighborhoods were black in many instances they were white and once white people saw this influx of African-Americans, a lot of them just bugged out and left and they didn't invest in the properties. They rented these properties out to African-Americans, but they didn't invest in the maintenance and upkeep. And when the economic base of these communities evaporated, especially in the 70s and early 80s, even the black landowners or property owners didn't have the resources necessary to maintain these properties. So you have these old Victorian era homes, absolutely gorgeous, as you said, that are just falling apart. But I, I do see the potential because people will always, you know, to quote a line from Lex Luthor in Superman, people will always need a place to live or to paraphrase a quote, people will always need a home. And I think as long as that need remains, there is a 
bright or potentially a bright future for the city. And I think what Ryan Boyer brings to the table is a breath of fresh air and creating a situation where, as I alluded to before, more people get to participate and have equity in the city. And when you have equity, you're more likely to maintain and develop rather than let your possessions dilapidate and fall apart. And I think that's my vision for Philadelphia 2035 to pick a date. I agree. I think it's going to take that time, but I, I think we're growing on a stronger foundation rather than one that was built under a bully pulpit. It's yeah. Those days are over. It just doesn't work anymore. And as that population ages out of the workforce and so, I don't want to say society in general, but the America that they're looking at is one that they, they, they don't understand anymore. And for good or for bad, their voice doesn't matter anymore. And we have to make it for good. We have to make it for good because they that generation, yes, they brought us to a place where America became the most prosperous country in the world. And we have to thank the silent generation and the greatest generation. I think the efforts that they made, even as ugly as their society was when it came to discrimination. However, we now have an opportunity as those forces, as those individuals are stepping out of the workforce or being forced out of the, the employment. And now, now there's a younger generation with new attitudes and a greater sense of equity across racial lines that we can start to prepare ourselves for a brighter future and a brighter Philadelphia. I work, as you know, at a local retail job and one of the licensed makeup artists, she is African-American and we were in the back and she had a lot of appointments and her brushes were dirty, her makeup brushes and they needed to be cleaned. And I was like, oh, I'll clean them for you. And she was cut. She goes, you will? And I think she was startled that I was willing to work for her. Invested in her. I was. And, and yeah. I was teasing her. I said, you know, one day, because she's a very good makeup artist. I said, you know, it's going to be funny. One day I'm going to be working for you. And she goes, you know what? This is all about teamwork. And it, she didn't probably even know what she said. She said, we're a great team. And I thought, here I am working with this very young makeup artist. I'm cleaning her brushes. But she sensed my excitement. She showed me how to do it. She was teaching me. And guess what? I did a good job and she came back. But when she said this is teamwork, I thought that's what I'm trying to say in this podcast and in life in general. This is all about a team effort. It's not mine or yours. And that's the shift. That is the shift in thinking that I hope we're that is now part of the cultural zeitgeist, that we're holding on to this vision of ourselves now and having a vision for the future where, as you said, there's equity, there is consideration of the other, and there is openness. Because the mistake I think the older generation made was that they thought the pie was fixed. They didn't recognize necessarily that you could grow the pie. And when you grow the pie, it now creates a scenario where more people can sit at the table. But they guarded it selfishly and jealously. And I understand why. I understand the thinking. And I understand you explained very well. The fear-based thinking that undergirded their approach to creating equity in the city. But that's no longer the case. And I think we have to take these opportunities because we definitely don't squander them. We don't want to waste another decade of wasted lives and wasted opportunity in the city of Philadelphia. And Ryan Boyer has been quoted as saying, as a child of the labor movement, he knows firsthand the ways in which labor and our unions change lives. And by fighting for our members, we are fighting for working families and fighting against poverty. And these are the battles we must win. And his appointment, thankfully, comes the time as President Joe Biden signed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan. And with the recent 
recent passage of the Biden infrastructure plan, there will be opportunities for labor for generations to come in Philadelphia. Oh my God, yes. That's what I, I was saying before is that the resources are there. We need a new vision for the future that brings more people to the table and make everyone feel that the, the pie is growing, that when they invest in their neighbors, when they invest in their co-workers, when they invest in their neighbor's neighborhood, that pie grows. You know, that was the that was a fatal flaw of the previous generation is that they thought the pie was fixed and it's not. There's opportunity for more people to feast and to thrive and other people can win. And guess what? So can you. And the Philadelphia building trades will have a major seat at the table and a loud voice in the room when infrastructure investments are made from across this region. And I, I think it's great. I think the next 10 years, we're going to rebuild the city, not overnight, but there is, again, it is a piece of the pie that everyone can have a slice of. And I have to be honest, when that happened to me at work the other day, she really smiled at me. She's like, we're really a good team. And it was, I'm now I'm in the supporting role. I used to be that person. And guess what? I was fine with it because I want to build the next generation to be better and do better and live better. And, and I think we are on the cusp of it. Totally agree. I think more people want the best for themselves and their neighbors than they simply just want for themselves. I believe in the potential of the human spirit. And the day that I can't say that with certainty and confidence, then it's a day that I perhaps shouldn't be doing this podcast anymore. We're going to keep an eye on Ryan Boyer. I'm going to be positive. Good things. He has a background in the trades and I think he'll be able to elevate. He's still a young man. Elevate the city where it needs to go in the next 10 years. Yeah, let's wish him luck because when he succeeds, if he's able to execute this greater plan of inclusiveness and diversity and equity building, then everyone wins potentially. And of course, Fly Eagles Fly. Yes, who's our sponsor this week, Marie? Our sponsor this week is the Shop on Market Street, which is the best barber shop in the tri-state area. Have you made your appointment yet, Nick? Well, it is Super Bowl weekend, so I have to make sure that I look especially good. Please follow them on Instagram at the Shops or Market Street. You can book your appointments through Instagram. They are Girl Barber Rules. That's their hashtag. Again, Nick, did you make your appointment? Yes, Marie. What date is it? Did you make it with Ashley? Yes, I did. It's for this Friday. What time? Um, why are you asking so many questions? I find this very suspicious. <laughs> so please support all of our sponsors. Thank you for joining us today on The White Bikini. We will continue our episodes on honoring Black History Month. Thank